Good morning. Glad you guys can be here. Hey, if this is your first time here, I want to personally welcome you. My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. A little bit about our church. We are one church. Redemption is one church. We have multiple congregations. Most of our congregations are here in the valley. Uh, We have one in uh, Flagstaff and one in Tucson, so 10 total Uh, We believe that all of life is all for Jesus, and that's a phrase that you'll hear a lot being around uh, redemption. And uh, simply put, what we believe is on the cross and through the resurrection that Jesus was not only just saving souls, but he was promising through the work of the Spirit to redeem and restore all of creation. And so it's our desire to make disciples in response to that truth. Um, If you are new and you're looking for ways in which you can get connected, you're looking for ways in which you can get involved in the church, you can hear more about the church, Best thing you can do is take the Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. Take some time during the service, uh, fill out your name, your email address, and then just write any questions you have or ways you want to get connected. Or um, you direct you to download the Redemption Tempe app that you can find in your app store, and you can learn more about what's happening here and what's happening in the church and so forth. We have been for some time in a series of Ephesians, but today we're going to take a break off of that. And um, we started a series, a mini-series in January uh, calling Seek and Shalom, in which we begin to look at ultimately what it meant for us to actually be the church of Jesus Christ and our city. And so primarily looking at who are we and what are we to do and so forth as Redemption 10B. Now, what I said then was that we would probably come back hopefully two to three times throughout 2018 to touch base on that. And so this is our second time to come back and hear that. Um, And if you've been around redemption for sometimes, especially Redemption Tempe, um, the text that you just heard, you've heard a lot. Um, Jeremiah 29 is a text that we usually go to. No, no, we don't usually go. We always go to that text uh, when we're talking about what does it mean for us to be the church in the city. And we're going to look at that uh, this morning and uh, looking at our time together. But before we do that, um, well, I want you this. Before we do that, I want you guys to raise your hands if you need a Bible. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is um, our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, Just for the way of where we're we're going uh, today is we're, we're looking at four different postures that we as the church ought to have in the city that God's placed us. And these, co- these postures flow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are people who have come to grips with Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior and is following Jesus and look, seeking to live out the implications of their life in Christ. One of those postures is presence. And so we're going to talk about what does that look like in the text and for, look like for us to have presence. The second is, is peace. Um, the word that you have in your translation should be welfare or peace, but the biblical word there is, is shalom. Um, the third one is prayer. Um, and then lastly, it's patience. Um, and so that's presence, peace, prayer, and patience. So before we jump into God's word, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless our time. God, I thank you and I praise you for uh, the opportunity we have to gather and to gather around your word. God, I pray that uh, today that you would, by your spirit, Lord, show us, remind us, equip us, and fill us through your spirit, Lord, to be your people in this particular place that Jesus would be central to everything that we do and say and think, that our lives would be uh, surrounded, um, we would surround him, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, that we would, we would find ourselves, Lord, not just confessing, Lord, the sins that we commit, but even the sins that we omit and finding the grace that's available in the work of Christ. I pray, Lord, that as we think about um, our particular call um, in this particular place, Lord, that Jesus, we'd be able to follow you in every aspect of life, 
that we would truly not just say all of life is for your son, Jesus, but we'd be able to, to live all of our life for you. God, we praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so years ago, when I first got in the ministry, years ago, like seven, um, when I first got in the ministry, um, I was an intern um, at Redemption Gilbert. It was East Valley Bible Church at the time. And I was literally just getting into knowing anything about ministry or church or whatnot. And so a lot of things didn't necessarily make sense to me. Um, and um, I wasn't used to the, 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 the style of music that, that, that we sang, that we sing then, that we kind of still sing now. Um, and one of the songs that we had, there were kind of two songs that kind of shaped my idea of mission. The, the one song, I don't know who sang it, I don't know who the, art, um, the artist is or whatever, but the chorus would go something like this, let what we do in here fill the streets out there. Um, and we were in this room, and we'd, we'd gather together in this ministry called 710 at the time, and there'd be 320-somethings raising their hands and saying, let what we do in here fill the streets out there. And honestly, I was like, I have no idea what this means. Right? Because there's a part of me that kind of thought, like, there's something we should be doing in here in the streets out there, and it was an opportunity to be a witness to who Jesus was in the community. But I was thinking, literally, if we took these words literally, do you think the community really wants us to, like, leave this building, go out in the middle of the streets, and start singing worship songs? Probably not, right? Considering the fact that most of the people in the room, I don't even think really liked the worship songs we were singing to begin with. And so, and they were Christians. What would non-Christians say, right? Like, I've never had a non-Christian friend in my car, and I play some worship music, and they go, man, that, that's my, that, dang, turn that up, right? Like, that's not, that's not usually what's happening. So, but... I, I got the gist of it, and the gist of it was, what is it that we do that centers around our life around Christ, and how do we bring it ultimately to the people out there? Now, this resonated with me because someone who grew up in the church but did walk with Christ in college, I didn't have very many, if any, people who ever brought the gospel to me in a language in which I can understand. And that's no offense to those of you who were part of the awesome campus ministries that we have at ASU. Um, they're awesome, but honestly, they never really came my way. And so that, that thought of going, how do we take the gospel of Jesus Christ, contextualize it to people in all different types of places to be able to understand the gospel? So let what we do in here fill the streets out there. That was one song that really made me think, if I ever led a church, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do it like that. The other one was from Lecrae, who's a, who's a, who's a rapper. Um, I get into that sometimes. And, uh, and one of the songs, and it was the first time I'd heard Christian rap that actually was, like, good. Um, and... And he said this, he said, uh, he starts off, the song's called Send Me, and he starts off, and he says, after 1,000 years in the West End of churches, so speak, you know, speaking about, like, you know, the Western culture, after 1,000 years in the West End of churches, getting bigger daily, but not understanding worship, meaning churches are just growing, but not understanding worship, and not just singing, but living their life for Christ. He goes, some, getting bigger daily without understanding worship, some are regenerated, but a lot ain't saved. You walk outside and be surprised because the block ain't changed. Now, let me just, some of you guys are like, mm, some of you guys are like, the block, what's going on with the block, right? So that's the neighborhood. <laughs> so, and, and, and the thought of that was going, if there are churches, if there are churches, and let's just keep our church, right? We're not talking about anybody else's church. If we're growing um, and that we're regenerated, meaning the spirit of God is in our lives and transforming us from the inside out, that should mean that our relationship with Jesus should be able to impact the neighborhoods and communities and places in which we work, live, and play. Right? And he's saying, how is it they're getting bigger daily but that understanding worship? Some are regenerated, but a lot ain't saved because you walk outside and be surprised because the block ain't changed. The numbers, they still be getting them, but something still ain't hitting them. Americans ain't saved. They just practicing their rituals. That's why we should be missional. You guys, remember, you guys remember that song? So there, 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 there is this picture of going, yeah, 
if we have our faith, um, our lives have been impacted by our faith in Jesus Christ, it should play out not just in our morality, nothing less than that, but it should actually play out in the way in which we engage the community around us. And so those two things, like what we do in here and how do we impact the city, like those things mattered for me. And so when I became the lead pastor here in Tempe, and I got to give you a brief history because not everybody's been here, and I feel like I tell this story all the time, and yet there's always new people here. Curiosity, how many of you guys have been here for less than six months, right? So yeah, you guys haven't even heard this story. Hi, I'm Ricardo. I've been the pastor here for, right? <laughs> so we, we as a church, Tempe, we started our church over 13 years ago here in Tempe, multiple locations. I'm not going to go through all the locations. Started by Justin Anderson. Justin started this church. He had grew up here, had gone to college in San Diego, came back, started this church with a group of his friends and family members, uh, uh, some of which are here. Uh, this is random, and I know this is going to call him out, but Rick Priggy, I just saw you walk in. Stand up, Rick. This is going to embarrass you, but Rick... Priggy literally built this church, uh, the stage that I'm standing on and so forth. Uh, Rick does not live here anymore, and it's a very dear friend, lives in the Midwest now. Uh, like many other people, they break our heart and move away. But anyways, uh, we love Rick. But this church in itself started and grew and grew and grew. Now, there were two different churches. There was a church called Praxis, which was Redemption Tempe. Follow with me. Praxis, not to be confused with practice, not a game, Praxis, right? And so you had Praxis Church and you had East Valley Bible Church. You had a church that was in existence for about six to seven years, a church for about 20 years. These church leaders um, began to do uh, networking together and doing ministry together in their city, and they thought, hey, let's come together and be one church. So in 2011, we got rid of both names, Praxis and East Valley Bible Church, and became Redemption, and we were Redemption Gilbert, Redemption Tempe, and then Praxis had a campus in Arcadia, Redemption Arcadia. Redemption had, Gilbert had planted a church in uh, like way far away, um, near Florence called uh, Second Mile, and um, now it's called Redemption Gateway. Uh, it's way out there, like right next to Albuquerque, right? And so there's, um, so those were our four congregations. And after that, there had been more churches that have been planted. Now, back here, um, I came as soon as we merged churches in 2011, I came here to, to be the associate pastor. Six months, six months into my first year here, Justin, who was the lead pastor here, decided he was going to go plant a church in San Francisco. Um, that wasn't the plan that me and my wife had. Um, our plan that we had told God, and God was like, yeah, we could do this, was we were going to come here, and we were going to train other Justin because he had planted a church, and then we were going to be in Oakland, you know what I'm saying, getting real hyphy, and then we were going to start a church there, and we were going to be in Northern California. However, God was like, just joking. Justin's going to go to Northern California, and you guys are going to be in Arizona for the rest of your lives, right? And so, and so we were like, for the kingdom, for the kingdom. <laughs> so so that, that was years ago. And then we began to look at our church and going, okay, Lord, now who are we, where are we, and where are we going? And we've, we've had an unbelievable time, right? As much as we can talk about the things that happen in church that bother you and bother me and everybody else, like we've had an unbelievable time being a church. We've been ridiculously blessed by the grace of God, like ridiculously. There, there's no way that at 27 years old, wherever I was at that time, that I should have ever been the lead pastor of any church, let alone this church. Um, the Lord has been wildly, wildly uh, gracious towards us, and so we've been blessed. But to much is given, <laughs> much is expected, right? 
And so part of that is going, I don't necessarily know that just being blessed means that it just, you know, it turns in on yourself. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that we are actually blessed to be a blessing to the people around us. And so we've always had this thought of going, what does it look like for us to actually be a people who actually do what we do in here and contextually live out for the people around us? How do we actually reach out to people? That is one, evangelism, sharing our faith in Christ, but also caring for the broken things and people and relationships in our city. That if we've been blessed to be a blessing, what does that look like? And so that's something we come back to over and over and over again to be able to look at those things. And the the question that guides me was uh, one that I had from my professor when I was in college. Uh, not ASU, they wouldn't ask this question, but um, was, do you want to lead a church or be a church that's in a city, or do you want to be a church that's for the city? If you're a church that's in a city, basically you use the resources of the city to be able to build your church, and your church can get bigger and bigger and bigger and grow and so forth, and it's really about the people who attend and participate in your church, and maybe you might do some outreach here and there, but it's really about your church. Or you could be a city, a church that's actually for the city, that meaning that because of what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done in your life and the life of your community, that you pour yourselves out for the people around you. Then he went on to say this, the church is the only institution that does not exist for itself only, but also for those who may never participate in the church. And he goes, that's the way that God has designed it, that we would be one, centered in Christ and outward focused to the community around us. And so that's something that we've wanted to do. Um, we wanted to do it in a way that was uniquely uh, uh, tethered to the scriptures. W- one of the things that we saw in history is that when churches became to be a little bit more um, what people would call socially conscious or outward focused, sometimes they would lose the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes they would lose an understanding of theology and doctrine and the word of God. But then we also saw is that churches that really, really about teaching the Bible and doctrine and the gospel and so forth didn't find themselves outside of the walls of the church. And so we, we didn't see that dichotomy in Scripture and saying, how can we, we, we just be ruthlessly biblical and at the same time follow Christ in such a way that we hold out the hope of the gospel and word and deed to the community around us? Amen? So that's kind of been who we are, and that's going to be who we are until God shuts this thing down. So what does that look like for us? And so in January, the series that we did in Seeking Shalom, um, just kind of an overview again. First, we said we, we are people who are here to know our city. And we, we looked at what does it look like to actually know our city, to, um, to know the people in our city. And what was started last year and led by Wilbur Kiribich's, Wilbur Kiribich's, he's just one, Wilbur Kiribich, um, and a group of people, they did ABCD, um, which is not the East Coast family. <laughs> it's asset-based community development. And what that means is they went around our whole city Um, in this area, and then begin to learn the needs of the community to actually know. Because then, if we can know them, we too, like, we can love people. And we can love people in a way that really pour ourselves out for them. And to really love, we said, was to serve. And so today, we just want to look at how do those postures play out. And I want to read first again here um, in Jeremiah, or excuse me, recap here just the context of Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, um, the people of God are in exile. The people of God were not living in Babylon. They were living in Jerusalem. While in Jerusalem, they were sinning against God over and over again. God would send a prophet, and the prophet would say something like, y'all tripping? And then God would say, um, through the prophets, if this keeps happening, like you're going to be disciplined. And he would say it in a way that was a little bit more godly than the way that I just said it. And then what happened, God followed through on their disobedience. 
And that meant he allowed another nation, in this particular case, the Babylonians, to come in and then take them out of Jerusalem. Now, there were three waves of this exile. The first wave is they took the youngest and the brightest and so forth. And then the second wave, they took more. And then finally, the third wave, they, 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 you know, they burned down the city. And you can read about that in the book of Lamentations, which Jeremiah also wrote. Now, while in Babylon, um, there were false prophets. These are prophets that were not actually speaking on behalf of God, but saying that they were. And the false prophet said, don't worry about um, being here. Do not move into the city. Do not engage the people around. Kind of have your own particular holy huddle, so to say, and, and be together because God does not want you here. You're not going to be here very long. He's going to come back and he's going to get you. Well, then Jeremiah writes and goes, not true at all. And so now Jeremiah is actually writing to the people of God who are in exile, who were there because as a result of their sin, but also was there by a result of God's sovereign hand. And then here's what he says in chapter 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The first posture we have as a church and that we've had for these 13 plus years is a posture of presence. If you read back here, what, what Jeremiah says is, not the, the opposite of, of what the false prophets were saying, which were, get away. He was saying, no, actually remain and stay there. He, he says this, verse 5, build houses and live in them. Um, plant gardens and eat their produce. Um, take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage that they may, they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. Do not decrease. And so the picture that you have here is if you've driven anywhere, right, um, in America, in a city, you see this phrase, um, live, work, play, right? You guys have seen that before. Live, work, play. It's like people have t-shirts on it and so forth, right? This is like urban development, like marketing, like strategy. Like you want to live, work, play. Before there was such a thing as live, work, play, and so forth, like God was the ultimate like urban developer, right? And it wasn't some weird hipster gentrification way that was not always that great. Um, it was actually um, God's people moving into the city and him telling them, first, I want you to build houses, which is a sense of permanence. Like, hey, be here for a while. Um, get comfortable. You're going to live here. Um, and then it says, I want you to plant gardens, meaning like work, like get a job. Like that's always a good word from the Lord. Like get a job, move out of your parents' house that they built. And then get a job, and then he says, eat their produce, meaning provide for yourself, enjoy it. And then he says, um, if you desire, go ahead, get married. If you don't desire, go ahead and do your single thing. Ain't nobody mad at you. And so you have this, you have this picture of, of, of living and of working and of, of relationship and community. Well, that, that happens to like, communicate not just activity, but presence, meaning God desired his people to be around those who would not be his people. Like there wasn't some sense of going, you have to remove yourself. So much of Christian strategy, and we do this. This is the way we do it in churches. It happened to me. You become a Christian. You, you accept Jesus Christ. Like you realize that you are a sinner and that you were separated from God. You believe what Christ has done for you. You believe in his death and his resurrection. His blood was shed for you. You prayed the prayer. You confessed with your heart. You believe with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are saved. Everybody got happy, Right? Then you have this group of friends that don't believe that. 
And somehow, what churches and Christian ministries do oftentimes is they try to remove you from every structure, relationship, system, and so forth of non-Christians, and they bring you into their particular structures. You learn a new language, you learn a new dialogue, learn a new way to do things, to say things, to not say things, and so forth. And then you have no credible witness to the people who you've loved your whole life. Like, we're really good at that. Like, you need to stay away from them. God said, I've never told you to stay away from them. Like, in fact, why would you not keep the relationships that you already have? He's not saying continue the same lifestyle. There's got to be some transformation. There's got to be some change in Christ. But don't remove yourself, meaning be present. In essence, what he's saying is just be a neighbor. Be a friend. Be a brother. Be a sister. Be yourself. Be normal. We have a tendency within Christianity to not be normal. I don't get it, right? I mean, honestly, we laugh at it, but like we've all been experiences where we're having a normal conversation. Everything's normal. Like, hey, how's the day? The day's pretty good. You know, it's not as hot as I thought it would be in June. Yeah, that's kind of good. Oh, yeah? You want to know what's hot? Hell's hot. Right? And it's, dang, right? There's this like, what? okay, all right, correct, right? What? There's a way that when he's saying be present, it is not saying that you hide or shield the hope that you have in Jesus. But at the same time, that, that you, you, you are actually around people, your presence. So what does that look like in a community? That basically, that speaks to your vocation. One of the things that we've, we've kept before you guys is the job that I do, like my particular role, is not the most godliest job, right? There's not the most godliest job that we are all called to Jesus. That is our first vocation. And from that, we're called to our families, our neighborhoods, and so forth. But we're called to the vocation where you're at. Like, like that is a calling that you have. Plant, build houses, plant gardens, whatever you're doing, that's where God's called you. So what we say is every single person in Christ, if you are in this room and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one, that's beautiful. Two, you are in full-time vocational ministry. It just depends on where God routes your check. To some of you, he routes it through um, Intel. To some of you, he routes it through somewhere else. Some people, he's routing it through Starbucks. Some people, he's routing it through um, maybe some grants, <laughs> maybe some loans you got to pay back, um, maybe some, your parents that they ain't proud of that. But somewhere, he is routing it, and you are called to be a witness to him and to be, have a faithful presence where you are. Another way that it means to be present is, is to actually be here in the city. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to live here. Every year we do a survey here um, in the church, and we'll do it soon, and we find out most of the people here do not actually live in Tempe. About 40% of the people live in Tempe, and about 60% of you guys live outside of Tempe. That's totally fine, totally fine. Our target goal, like our Jerusalem, so to say, is Tempe. You say, why? Because we're in Tempe. It's really simple, right? And, and, and we have other congregations elsewhere. So when it comes to, like, our, like, central target, it's going to be in Tempe. It doesn't mean that we don't do ministry and community groups and life outside of it, but that's going to be our center. And we've said this, that our mission statement is to make disciples of Jesus who seek the reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. And when we say make disciples of Jesus, people who are present here, these are men and women and children who have committed their whole lives to Jesus, that they come under the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every area of their life, and that they seek to live out the fullness of the implications of the gospel in their life, and that when we say reconciliation, that is the preaching of the gospel, not just through me, but us as a people, 
that men and women are able to be reconciled to God. And then also reconciliation happens to be men and women together and families and peoples and races and so forth, which we spent a lot of time talking about. Like, that has been it. The way that that happens is we have to be in the lives of people and be in the lives of the people in our neighborhoods. So we mentioned this before. Here's one simple thing you can do, right? One simple thing. You ready? You don't have to write it down. Just get to know your neighbors. Like, simple. Like, think about it in your head right now. Do I know the people that live across the street from me or across the apartment hall? Like, do I know their names? Do I know the people who live to the right of them? Do I know the people who live to the left of them? Do I know the person that lives to the right of me? Do I know the person or the people or the family that lives to the left of me, right? And if you're like, I know all that, I need some extra credit, okay, do I know the people that live on the other side of the alley or, where, you know, whatever behind you, right? Then that's when you're doing it, right? And, like, this is, we're saying just do 101. We're not even asking you to go share the gospel with them. We're just going, do you know their names? Okay, I know their names. Okay, take the next step. Have you had any significant conversation? Like, do you know any hopes, aspirations, desires, dreams, history of their life? Yeah, I know. Okay, good. Man, you're good. All right. Have you, have you been, have they been invited to your house? And have you been invited to their house? Like, just start there. Like, like part of it is going, can you show up for the people who are in your neighborhood? You know, who are in your workplace? Who are in the schools that you go to? Who are on the sports teams that you're at? Can you just show up for them in such a way and be normal and represent the person and work of Jesus Christ? That's part of it. We just want to have a presence and a presence that is uniquely centered in Jesus Christ. Amen? Number two is not just a presence, but we want to be able to have the peace. And so continuing here in Jeremiah, here's what he says here. And this is, the, this is one of the more famous verses in Jeremiah. It says, but seek the welfare of the city I have sent you into the exile. So welfare is, or in your translation, it may say peace, it's shalom. And we've said this before, that shalom is not just, you know, the absence of conflict. That the Bible, when it talks about shalom, is far more holistic than that. Um, the best quote that we've had is for, from Cornelius Plantinga, Jr., and he, he says this as it relates to shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. If you look at those pictures or those t-shirts that you've seen that say live, work, play, there's something that is not robustly Christian about that. Meaning live, work, play, fine. But there's another component that we have to add there, and that's serve. That if we are people who realize that God has given himself to us, and now we participate in the life of Christ um, and understanding God as our Father and the Spirit is guiding us. That means by nature of who we are, we have to be for others. That we have to be giving ourselves to the people and the places around us. And so when it comes to seeking the shalom or the welfare of the city, God is not asking the people of Israel to do something easy here. And I know we've said this, but we are wildly comfortable right? Like we are wildly comfortable. And to do the things of God, for the most part, not always, to do the things that God has called us to do, we have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable, 
right? We have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. So the context of which we're reading this text, these people, the Babylonians, have killed their family members. The Babylonians have burned down their place of worship. The Babylonians have ripped them from their own city and their own land and has brought them to their land. The Babylonians oftentimes has even taken their God-given names and given them other names. Like, the Babylonians were not the type of neighbors that you're like, yeah, I love my neighbor, right? Like, and, and Jesus, God here says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remain around them having a presence, but I want you, want, you want you to have a gospel peace that begins to care about the city in which you are in. God is asking them to be comfortable with being uncomfortable for the sake of his glory and for the sake of their neighbor. And not just the sake of the neighbor, he goes on to say, because in its welfare or in its shalom, in its peace, you're going to find your peace. I'm convinced that as believers and followers of Christ, oftentimes we don't receive what God has for us because we don't actually give what he's given us. And that's just not finances. That's time. That's resources. That's all of who we are to be able to serve and give ourselves for the sake of the other. And the other oftentimes, and our particular demographic, happens to be the people in our communities whose backs are against the wall. Those who don't usually have the loudest voice, those who don't usually have the resources, those who usually don't have most of the things that we have, those who, who we don't usually listen from. We talked about this last week. He said, seek the shalom, find peace, wholeness, and delight there. And as a church, we desire that. We, we have things here at our church called mission collectives. And some of you guys have been a part of it. There's multiple things that we do here, again, led by Will, that 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 push us out to care for people in our community. Um, some of those things look like going to a particular place in South Phoenix to provide food for families that need it. Um, some of those things look like every Thursday providing a meal for, for, um, for many transient men and women, people experiencing, experiencing homelessness in our community. And, and I know some of you guys don't, don't know this and because we don't have time to talk about everything we do, but I, I, want, I do want to highlight this one. Um, so the city of Tempe has decided not to build a homeless shelter, right, for multiple reasons. And there are people in our community who decided to say, and we've talked about this before, who said, we, we want to be able to have a place for them, to care for them. And so churches, multiple churches in the city have band together and said, well, if we, we have all the resources already um, because we have buildings, we have space, which, by the way, largely go unused, but we'll, we'll touch on that in just a second. Um, and... What if each night a church would say we could be open? And so you wouldn't have to have a permanent facility. Our night happens to be Thursday night. And the collective is called the With Collective. The, re the reasoning behind the With Collective is we don't believe that ministry is just for people or just to people, but we believe that ministry is always with people. And so there's a meal that you can share together, and there's also an opportunity for these, for these men and women um, through iHelp, which is the organization that runs it, to be able to have a shower and a place to stay, um, a place to sleep um, that particular night. And our nights happen to be Thursday. It would be amazing if we had so many people to go, we, we need another night. We have too many volunteers. Like, there's too much food. Ricardo, there's too much food. What can, if Will came to me and said, this is ridiculous, man. We have so many people here. It's too much food. We don't know what to do. We need to tell the people in our city, like, listen, send us more people. We need another night. Like, that would be a great problem to have. And numerically speaking, it should be pretty easy with the church our size. 
It could be. It should be. It could be. I'm not saying it should. It should. All right? So, so there's that we, we, we should be able to do that amongst other things. Now, there's multiple mission collectives, and you're going to go, how do I learn more about that? Go ahead and fill out the Connect card, and we'll get you the information on that. But part of that is being able to seek that sort of peace in our community. It's being able to, to, to go to places and people of need. Okay, even here on our campus, we have a ministry here called Equipped. Some of you know it, some of you don't know it. Equip is our ministry to children and families with special needs. Um, that's a population and a group of people we don't usually hear from unless you are personally involved or experiencing it. And there is an area for you to actually be very <laughs> comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and not just to bless the families, but it will be a blessing to you as well. Um, there are multiple ways and spaces within a city that those who have come to believe and trust in Jesus have to clear out their schedules in such a way to pour themselves out for others in the same way that God left the comforts of heaven to pour himself out for you. These are all direct gospel implications, not just it's a need, it's going, no, no, this is what it looks like for me to reflect my faith and for us as a church to reflect our faith. There's areas in which we look at in our city that we say we have to address these areas. We have to. There are needs and we should be able to address them. One is um, a population that is elderly that by and large is not represented in this church, right? Um, when, when, when I talk about those who are, like, older, the people here in our church that are older are like, ah, I wonder who they're talking about right now, right? And I know the feeling, because when, when we moved from the inner city to the suburbs, and we would go over, like, Black History Month, and they'd talk about Martin Luther King, and I was, like, one of the black kids in class, everybody would kind of look like, and I'm like, I'm not Martin Luther King, but I, I'll take it, right? So that, that particular population here in our community, and then also what came up is the youth, and it's not just going to be addressed through our youth ministry. There's got to be creative ways that we say, how are we caring for teenagers? It was amazing. I don't know if you guys remember when Will was sharing the stats, the amount of the, uh, the rate of suicide between 10 and 18 and 19 years old. Like right here. And let's just be honest. We do not represent the schools that are around here. If you ever look at Tempe High when they get out of school, or you ever look at McClintock High when they get out of school, or at most of the elementaries around here, it doesn't necessarily represent the people in this church. Maybe we need to do what we are doing in here and the streets out there. Maybe it could be um, we're a little bit too comfortable in the way that we naturally do ministry, that maybe we need to do ministry in different ways to be able to reach the people whom God has in our city, his city. Amen? So there's presence. We have to actually be there. And then there's the seeking of shalom and saying, where are things broken in which we who are also broken have been touched with the gospel that we can actually be a glimpse of his coming kingdom. And the next one here is prayer. It's prayer. And this is, this is just prayer. Verse, verse 7, he continues, and he's speaking about the welfare. He says, pray to, I've sent you into exile, and he says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Prayer. I've told countless amount of stories about how my mom prayed for me. I've listened to several of you tell Countless amount of stories about a grandma, a friend, a grandpa, somebody who prayed for you um, to get you to where you are today. I think it's time for us to now be those people. That people who are not represented in this room 
would say, I'm here because of this person, this woman, this man, my grandma, my mom, my friend, and so forth, because they prayed for me. Um, we can't be a church without being a praying church. Now you, like, if God meets us through prayer, and things don't happen apart from prayer, and many of us would say, I just don't pray, then who are we really trusting in? I mean, at some level, we're trusting in our hands and we're trusting in our might, the very thing the Bible tells us not to do. And so there's got to be some level of going, like, we have to pray. We have to pray on behalf of our city. We got to pray on behalf of our church. We got to pray on behalf of our family members. We got to be pray on behalf of those who don't know Jesus, those who do know Jesus. Like, we have to be bathed and saturated in everything that we do in prayer. Like, like praying people. It's almost like, like it should not be something as Christians that we should be motivated, have to be motivated to pray. It's something that we should have to live on. And certain people, I'm not saying that everybody, but certain people, they just, they just know. Like they just know, I, I don't have anything else but prayer. Maybe we have too much. And maybe we rely too much on our resources instead of the one who's given us our resources. And so what could that look like, right? How about this? Easy. One, first thing is presence, get to know your neighbors. Uh, I forgot the second one, Shalom. Like, do something tangibly to serve the community, either through the church or outside the church. Church's not the only way you can do it. And then three here, pray, pray is, I'm not going to say just pray because it's pretty broad. Find somebody, whether your spouse, your roommate, your friend, somebody in whom you can pray with three times a week. Easy, three times a week. I'm not even going to put a length on it, right? You let the Lord do it. I don't want you to say, my pastor told me to do this. He's being a legalist. Listen, if you're not praying, don't, get, don't, don't call me a legalist. Um, and so... So you, 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 we find somebody to pray with, okay? Um, if you have a roommate, like spend one time a week, one time a week, walk around your neighborhood and pray. Don't talk about what you're going to pray about. Just pray. Don't worry about if it's the perfect prayer. There's never been a perfect prayer outside Jesus, right? God knows how to filter through all your heresies and everything else. He knows exactly what to do, right? Like, he's got you. He's got you. And the Spirit plays on your behalf already. So take your, your roommate or whoever you live with and, 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 and walk around there. But I live by myself. Okay, find somebody else who's a Christian to pray with. No excuses. Okay, you're married. Married couples. How many of you guys here are married? Right? Perfect. All right. Take your spouse. Um, if they love Jesus. If they don't love Jesus, convince them to go on the prayer walk with you. Um, don't make them, but convince them. And so you have, you have once a week, once a week, it could be for five minutes. It doesn't matter. Take your wife, take your husband, hold their hands, and walk around the neighborhood. There's something that was taught to us. And pray. And pray for them. Don't ask prayer requests. Pray whatever it is the Lord gives you, right? And when your spouse prays for something, don't go, hey, why'd you pray for that? Just don't worry about it, right? Just let, 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 let the Lord lead. Pray for each other. Okay, maybe take another loop around the apartment complex, around the neighborhood, wherever you live, and then pray for the people that you need to get to know or that you already know and pray for their, their souls, pray for their lives, pray for them. Okay, all right. no, no, not done yet. Okay, maybe a third lap or around the first lap, depending on how hot it is outside. Pray for the school district in your neighborhood, even if you don't even send your kids to that school because you don't believe it's excelling. Right? So just, just pray for that school. And those are just simple practices, walking and following with Jesus, 
you're present in your community, you're praying for shalom and for God's kingdom to come in that area, and you're actually doing what God had called the Israelites to do in, the Babylon, in, in, in Babylon in a way that begins to honor God. Those are just simple ways. If our prayer muscles are weak, then we got to start somewhere to begin to pray. And if you say, I've been doing that already, I would tell you you're lying, and you need to confess, and that's your prayer. And then the rest of us, we will grow in that particular prayer together. And, and let me close with this. The last one is patience. Um, God tells them to be there for a long time. He has to do the work. Like, we have to be patient. Patient. Um, part of patience means that we need to let God, like, we need to believe and realize that God already, already goes before us. Um, this is not, quote-unquote, our city. It's God's city. And that the Holy Spirit, like, cares more about people coming to know Jesus than we even care. Um, that the Holy Spirit cares about shalom far more than we do. And that the Holy Spirit actually cares about us praying far more than we do and knows that we don't and prays on our behalf. So part of the patience is being able to sit and listen to what the Spirit is giving us as a people, as a, as a church, as individuals, and realize God is doing the work. Okay, we cannot... Um, think that because we do something, now God owes us something. Part of patience is God building our faith as we do the ministry that we've been called to and making disciples of Jesus Christ over and over and over again, right? Everybody in here, I don't know when you came to Jesus, those of you who are in Christ, um, for those of you who are not in Christ, I pray that through the people who invited you that you would come to know Jesus. But at some point, somebody was wildly patient with us. Like, wildly patient with us. I, this morning had to give my, life, my kids' lives back to Jesus, right? I mean, no, no, that's not even, not even a joke, been dead serious. The other day, yesterday, we were at a wedding in Prescott, and, uh, and we were talking about child dedication. And then my oldest son says, who, who did I get dedicated to? And I was like, God. Come on, man, you're, my, you're supposed to be my son, right? <laughs> and then I realized, I don't know if we've ever dedicated Noah, <laughs> Because we were at Gilbert, and we didn't do it there. We dedicated Eli here, and Holly's like, yeah, no, no, we, we, uh, we put him along with, uh, with Eli, right? And it was one of those things where I went, oh. And then I realized, we were driving back, everybody's sleeping in the car last night, and I thought, Is my, are my kids, like, really dedicated to God? Or are they dedicated to my idea of what they could be and should be when they grow up? And there was almost like this rededication. If you've been in the churches like I grew up in, you always rededicated your life back to Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I had to rededicate my kids' life back to God and realizing my mom didn't have some orchestrated way of my life. She had the word of God, and she believed in God, and she prayed to God, and that was it. Like, we spend, I, just, I don't know about you, too much time thinking about education. We spend too much time thinking about food options. And I know some of you guys are like, you have to think about that. They can, they can get all these diseases and stuff. I know Red food coloring, it'll mess you up. Uh, <laughs> we spend too much time with that, and I just wonder how much time are we actually centering them around the work of Christ and then stepping back and being patient enough to watch God do what he's going to do. I wonder sometimes, are we choosing neighborhoods to live in because of what they already look like as opposed to what they could like look like if God were at work in that neighborhood? I wonder if we're choosing friends and people to be with um, basically for what they are like now as opposed to what they could like and the, look like in the Lord. Let me do a side note real quick. Those of you who were single who are saying, Ricardo just said to date my non-Christian friend. I did not say that, all right? Date someone who loves Jesus. Now, back to what I was saying. 
is some of us, right, we choose things because of our comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's saying, what, what would it look like to be a people who had a gospel imagination that chose to be present in people's lives in our neighborhood and our workplaces in such a way to hold out the hope of the gospel? Who's, who chose to seek shalom, whatever we could. That means withholding some of our own rights and privileges in order for the other's gain. Who actually decided to put rhythms of prayer with each other, not just us and God individually, but community together and praying on behalf of our city and the places in our city, even the places that we don't frequent. Um, then what does it look like for us to be patient and step back and be able to say what the, the old black women in the church used to say is, ain't God good? Look what God has done. Look what God is doing. Like, that's the type of church that we believe God's called us to be in this particular city until Jesus comes back and renews and restores all things. Amen? And, and I would love to say the invitation is for you to join us, but we're, we, you're kind of obligated by being here, and so uh, we got a lot of work to do. And then if you're not serving somewhere in this community, you got to start serving somewhere. And you could say, well, if I don't serve, should I leave the church? That's not what I said. I just said that maybe you should serve. And... Um, and not leave the church, but leave the church better than you first found it. And so we need everybody's help, everybody's hands, everybody's feet to be able to serve not just the ministries here, but to be a blessing with the other churches in the city and the city in which we live in. Amen? All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we, we, um, we love you because you first loved us. Father, just right now, Lord, um, on behalf of all the parents here and grandparents, Lord, we take all of our children, and we give them to you afresh. We confess, Lord, that we try to be the spirit in their lives. We try to be the heavenly father in their lives. Lord, we can't be any of those things, Lord. And we do it because we are afraid. <laughs> and um, God, that's not what faith produces. In fact, what we see in the scriptures, faith produces a boldness, Lord, that it allows ourselves, Lord, to do things, Lord, that honor you. Faith produces a steadfastness, Lord, that we can be present in the lives of the people around us. That faith produces a desire to see shalom where there's brokenness, Lord, understanding that we are broken and yet being healed through the gospel. To be able to extend that gospel to others. That, Lord, that we see the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord, calls us to pray to you. And when we're not, we are not resting and being nourished on the bread of life. That when we were not in, in prayer with you, Lord, we confess that we were not drinking deep of the waters of grace in which you extend. And God, we pray as a people, God, that it would not be the fabulous prayers in which we need. It wouldn't be the long prayers we need. It'd be simple as this, Lord, have mercy on us as sinners. Father, would you do on us incredibly and exceedingly more than we could ever think or imagine? And Lord, give us the patience in which you promised through your Holy Spirit as a people, God. We pray that Jesus would be honored, that we would, we would live into and live out of the gospel in whom he's given us, that it would be that which energizes us, Lord, that which motivates us, that which satisfies us. And God, I pray that you would continue to push us out to those on the margin in ways in which we can't even imagine, that it would not be something we talk about, but a life in which we live. God, we thank you for this city. We thank you for the cities that surround it. We thank you for Phoenix as a whole, and we pray for your ministry through all the churches, through all the ministries, all those who are holding out hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that your gospel would go forth and that you would draw men and women to yourselves and you would transform their lives, their families, their cities, their communities, this city and this state. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
we get an opportunity to respond to God's word. And um, just a moment here, John's going to come lead us in a time of response. But take this moment and sit in silence and listen to whatever it is the Holy Spirit is communicating to you um, in your heart about what he's calling you to do or to confess or to change. Um, And again, just a moment, John will come lead us in a time of response.